This is So What Does Judaism Say About? where we discuss all kinds of interesting, challenging, and important aspects of our lives and how Judaism relates to them. I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me, with me as always is the insightful Rabbi Mayer Beer. Rabbi Beer, how you doing? Fantastic. Today, I'd like to talk about what does Judaism say about empathizing with other people's loss? How do you empathize properly from the Torah perspective with another person who's going through something? Right, sure. So you want to feel that person's pain. To what extent do you take that? Do you let that pain overwhelm you? Do you internalize it to the point where you can't function? Do you dismiss it so that it doesn't have an effect on your life? Like, like kind of what's the balance? And empathy what's as opposed to sympathy. Empathy means you're making it real, you know? It's, it's a real thing. And as opposed to sympathy, and you also don't want to be, um, you know, a, a flattery type where you're, you know, sort of over, over sharing or over whatever, like, or story topping. You ever, you know, the story toppers? Oh, well, you know, what happened to me was blah, 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 blah. Like, that's not good, obviously. So, you know, very curious here. Yeah, sure. So this is, this is a, um, a, a part of the traditional Jewish way of mourning um, is Shiva. When people will, the family of the deceased will sit together, and people will will pay respect and visit them and, and talk with them, and you know there's there's a way to do it in a sensitive way in which you're sharing the pain, you're helping them leave that place of of hurt and helping them you know move on from it. You know there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. So I would like to share a incident which the Talmud relates, which seems on the surface to be, you know, I'm going to say the for lack of a better word, inappropriate, an inappropriate way of consoling a mourner. But this, this is the what not to do, as recorded by the sages. <laughs> but it is actually what to do. It's just a little shocking uh, at first, and we'll, we'll take it apart, okay. and we will hopefully come up with some new insights uh, in the direct way to communicate with a person who's had a loss, but also really for ourselves, what we should be feeling, how we should be processing that. So the Talmud, uh, this is in, in Tracted Baba Kama, page 38a, relates a story with... Uh, uh, Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda, who was a, a sage from the from the Talmud who lost a daughter, and the rabbis tell Ula, who was one of the prominent rabbis of the generation, let's go and and console him for his loss. And Ula tells the other rabbis, I am I'm not going I'm not going with you, you uh, Babylonian rabbis, it's heresy the way you uh, you console mourners. You say things like you know what could we have done? We wish we could have done something like. As if there was something you could have done, you would have stopped God from taking this person. This is the wrong way to do it. And Ula goes in, and this is what he does. This is the way he consoles Rav Shmuel Abar Yehuda on the loss of his daughter. Uh, he tells him, look, Moshe waged war against Midian. Uh, the story goes in, in the Chumash that there's two nations, Midian and Moab, who were attempting to through military and other means, uh, attempting to harm the Jewish people, and God tells Moshe to wage war against Midian, to um, to stop them from what they're doing. Yeah, but not Moab. Don't attack Moab. Don't attack Moab. The even though was, they're a terrible, even though they're nation. the nation that was doing more to actively try to harm the Jewish, the Jewish people, people than Midian was. Moab was the instigator. Midian kind of tagged along with them. Right. So why are you waging war against Midian and not against Moab? So the 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 tradition is that that from Moab would come two great women. Uh, one of them is, is Ruth. And because this nation, even as difficult as they were to deal with, 
as adversarial as they were to the Jewish people, they would produce these two people. God said, we're going to keep them around so that these two people can come out of them. Right. Ruth, of course, is the great-grandmother of King David. Correct. Yeah. So Ula tells, um, tells Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda that, look, God kept an entire nation around because a couple hundred years later, two great women came out of this nation. Do you think there was anything left for your daughter to do? God would have taken her away. She was done. She was finished. Okay. Now, this seems... This is supposed to be consolation. Yes. This seems to be very cold. It's very analytical. It's very, you know, you know, if you look at the theology, it's, it's you know, kind of we all have our, our time in this world. We all have to accomplish a mission. Your daughter clearly did what she had to do, and she's done. It's finished. Get on. Get on with it. Almost like from, from the perspective on the other side, not our side. Right. It's like, look at her. She's fine. She's good. Which is, which is like, you know, I mean, you hear the logic. It makes sense. And you can discuss the theology that, you know, we think everybody should have 84 years according to the average American lifespan. You know, some people can accomplish in 20 years. What are those can accomplish in 80 or 100 years? And, and maybe they're done. Maybe they've fulfilled whatever they needed to do and they've moved on. Like, right, right. This, pre- this pre-proposes, of course, that everybody is here for a unique mission. And if and when that mission is accomplished, it's sort of that's... That, that would be the end of, of a person. And we don't know exactly what that mission is or, or what, what every person's role is. Right. So it's kind of like, okay, that's it. But now, it's not the most empathetic way. Seemingly not the most empathetic way. It's, it's, it's like, it's very cold. And yeah. you know, you can imagine if you're in a room of like Nobel Prize winners, this might be, and, and they like love the logic of the theology. This is the way to do it. But is this the only reaction you should have? Like, yeah, they did their part. They did their role. They, they did whatever good they did. And they moved on. So what we come to is is a, a, a verse in the Torah. So towards the end of, of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, God tells Moshe, you're going to die on this very day. Rashi points out, quoting a Safri, that there are three times the Torah uses this language, this seemingly redundant language of this very day. Just say, on this day. Uh, number one, God tells uh, Noah, on this day, this very day, go into the ark. God tells the Jewish people, on this very day, you're going to leave Egypt. And God tells Moses, on this very day, you're going to die. What is the commonality in these three, these three, these three instances? Noah going into the ark, the Jewish people leaving slavery, leaving Egypt, and then lastly, Moses dying. That's the only time we see these three things this, this very day. This very day. This phrase coming in. What's the connection here? So the Safri says the following. Number one, Noah was tasked with building an ark primarily as a public spectacle. He was told to build this ark. Everybody would see what he was doing. They would ask him why. He would say that if, you know, you guys don't improve, you're, if society doesn't improve, there's going to be a, a flood and destroy this society. And the people say that, uh, you know, look, you think you're going to escape on this boat. We'll just destroy the boat. And the message that God tells Noah is, you're leaving on Tuesday the 14th, and you can tell everybody you're leaving, you're leaving on Tuesday the 14th, and let them see if they can stop you. Right. And they, and they could not. And they could the, not. For the record. Correct. Right. Noah, Noah, Noah floated away peacefully on the ark. Ever so peacefully. A midnight cruise. <laughs> Long <laughs> Island Sound. Off goes the boat. Right. Exactly how it went down. The same thing. The, the, uh, God tells the Jewish people that you're leaving Egypt. The Egyptians say, no, you're not leaving Egypt. And the message from God is, we're leaving on Tuesday the 14th. Right. Like, no, no, we're out on this day. Try to stop us. Right. And they didn't. 
And what is the third example? Moses dying. So the Sufri says the following. The Jewish people say, God, we cannot be without Moses. He was our first leader. He was our greatest leader. He did this for us. He did that for us. He, he, he helped fashion us as a people. How are we going to be able to grow and develop spiritually without Moshe? You cannot take him away from us. You can't do it. Like, we can't be without him. We need him to function. We're, we're, we're going to be, you know, we want to accomplish, and we're not going to be able to accomplish and develop without him. And God says, he's going. He's going, he's going on Tuesday the 14th, on this very day, and, and that's it. Now, that, that seems like a, like an inconsistent group of three things. Like, the Jewish people were doing this as a, a sense of grief. Like, we can't be without Moshe. Why would you put in the same group of people the Egyptians, the society that Noah lived in, and the Jewish people who are not obviously denying that God can kill people, but are just are heartbroken at the loss of their leader. So Ramosha Feinstein says that this reaction of the Jewish people is not to be associated with the other two examples as, as an act of defiance in the sense that they were wrong. It's a defiance out of grief. And in that case, it isn't a terrible thing. They're so, they're so emotionally distraught out of the loss of this great person that they're willing to say things in their, in their pain and grief that sound similar to the statements of the Egyptians and the generation of Noah, even though right. obviously we're not equating right. the, the spiritual level of the two at all. And that, he says, we see from this reaction of the Jewish people, it's acceptable and understandable. People are going to react this way. There, there isn't going to be the reaction of Ula, right. of look, he fulfilled his mission. This is what God, this is what was his place. This is this what his role was, and that's it. Sometimes people are like, how are we going to move on? Yeah, he's in a good place, but what about us? Right. We're, we're without this person. We could have been in such a better trajectory in such a better position had he been around. We, and, we don't have that. And you see this happening when when there's loss. You see people, particularly when they lose parents at a young age, the child will almost be angry at the parent. How could you leave me here by myself or, or a spouse? How could you leave me here? Or, or angry at God. Yeah, but I've even seen, I'm, I'm saying this like from the perspective of, I know you're okay. What about me? I'm right. over here by myself. That kind of anger, that kind of, because that's so... It, what I'm saying is that's so illogical. It's so that is much even more emotional than being angry at God because the person themselves, for sure, had nothing to do with it. How could you leave me here? Right. You know, person succumbs to cancer. How could you leave me here? It's a very emotional thing, and the brain, obviously, like you're saying, Ula is coming. Brain, hey brain, you know, walking brain, like that character from Ninja Turtles, the brain that was inside Krang. You probably don't remember. It's been a while <laughs> since you've seen Ninja Turtles, but the you know the emotional aspect, the heart, the heart says what the heart feels. Correct. So this is what the other rabbis that didn't console like Ula meant. I mean the people who were like Ula. What? <laughs> they were aware of Ula's theology. They, right. they were great rabbis also. It's right here in the brain. They know it also. Right. And they're giving a different half the consolation. Right. There is the Ula approach, and then there's the other rabbis approach. And even though it would seem, as Ula points out, that the other rabbis are almost heretical in their perspective, like, we wish we could have done something. We wish we could have stopped them from leaving. Well, like, you want to run the world? Like, you know, you, you, you want to be that uh, character that's, that's going to that's gonna, like take care of everything? You're not God. But that's called empathy. Correct. That's, how it, that's exactly what it's needed. That's, that is how it works. So we need Ula and we need the other rabbis. We uh, need both parts. Uh. Now, so what I understand, putting this back into the Gemara, is both parts are true. And even though, you know, so we need the theology. We need Ula also. We, we can't let the rational parts of our mind start questioning things which do make sense. We understand that, 
you know, this is the nature of the world, that this world that we live in has struggles, has difficulties, and that's part of our existence. But emotionally, we also have to realize that that breaks us sometimes. Right, that's the quiet part. You're not supposed to say that part out loud, I think, right? The empathy is the consolation that we need. We need to know certain things, but the parts that we share with people in times of loss, I'll just, I don't think it should be that the Ula route, right? It has to, you know. Now there are people that might need, be, need to be told this, but you know, it's kind of tread carefully and be very sensitive in how you balance the two because ultimately you have to look at the person who has a loss um, and how to really help them as, as right. you know, in the position and, they're and in. And there is something consoling about Ula if you think about it deeply, right? When a person does have a mission to know that God doesn't make mistakes, if you will, that a person was righteous, led a certain life, and isn't here anymore, to know that they're in a good place. And we don't just mean they're bowling in the big bowling alley in the sky, you know. That's not what we mean, and we never mean that. And um, we've talked about afterlife a lot and what's going on what's going on, on the other side. But from our perspective, it, it is a consolation to know, okay, there was a plan, there is a plan. Things are not chaotic, things are not in total distress. There is something happening here that's meant to be, and 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 there was a there was a plan, there is a plan, there's a planner. I mean, th- that is also a consolation in that if it can be talked about the right way. At the same time, I feel so overwhelmed and overcome, it's important to hear a message of, we wish we could have done something. Yeah, I know, me too. That's an important aspect. They're not, they're almost non-contradictory. Correct. And, you know, making sure that your emotions don't start affecting the rational part of your mind and your rational part of your mind leaves room for the emotions is really kind of going to be the healthy balance between the two. It's, it's, it's a really unbelievable, unbelievable perspective. So I want, I want to end off with, with, with one idea, and that is sometimes the way people deal with the pain is almost the greatest inspiration for those surrounding them. Um, I want to give, an, I want to give a, an example from the Chumash. We always like to go to the source. Um, we, have, we have Aaron, our own Hakohen, Aaron the priest, who lost two of his sons, Nadav and Aviyu, on the day the tabernacle was inaugurated. So his two sons, who were two of the greatest of the younger leaders of the Jewish people, who were assumed by many in the nation to replace Moses and Aaron. You know, they had that high of a, you know, that their, their achievements were, were that great at such a young age. They, on the day the, the, the tabernacle was inaugurated, offer a sacrifice, which wasn't something that God expressly told them to do. And whatever kind of minor sin they, they had committed... They die in the process of offering the sacrifice. And our own reacts with acceptance. Which we'll talk about in we'll talk about the, the exact text of, of the Torah in a second. Now, the Torah refers to Aaron as a chassid for his reaction. Now, a chassid is something you might think of somebody who lives in Williamsburg. Or 48th Street selling uh, recording equipment. Yeah. But that's not what we're talking about here. Somebody with side curls and, and, and a very long beard and a, a long black coat. The word chassid means somebody who's righteous. We have an expression that there's a, there's a tzaddik. A tzaddik is also, I guess, often translated in English as righteous. But a tzaddik, by definition, means somebody who does everything that they're supposed to do. Right. And, not, and not more, necessarily. Right. A chassid is somebody who goes beyond that. Beyond, right. Now, the word chassid is the same word as the word chesed. Chesed means kindness. Kindness. What's the connection between a righteous person and a kind person? So the the Rav Talitz Yehuda Berlin says that the Baal Chesed, the person who is kind, is a person who goes above and beyond what is expected socially. You know, people are expected to have a certain amount of sensitivity. 
the Baal Chesed, the person who is does Chesed, who does kindness, goes beyond that. The Chesed goes beyond what is expected of the human condition in his relationship with God. And he says that Aaron lost his two sons who were slated to be huge. You know, we can we could assume that a, a leader like Aaron, his concern, what his heart bled with, was concern for the Jewish people. Like that's what his that's what his focus is on. And he has two sons that he's raising who are enormous people who are going to do all these wonderful things for the future of, of the Jewish people. And they die at a young age. They hadn't even married. They didn't have kids. They're like these two bright prodigies who were devoted to, 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 to their people. And like, this is the hope. This is the future. And they die for what seems like a relatively trivial sin. And Aaron's reaction is to accept it. Now, that acceptance is so powerful. This recognition was so powerful that the Torah calls him a chassid. The, the verses, the, 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 Urim and Tumim, the, the breastplate that was worn on the high priest's garments, Aaron was, Aaron was the high priest, belonged to Ishchasidacha, the man of righteousness. Like, that's an incredible thing. Like, and, and that's like a, that's a, 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 like a role model and how to like accept and, and, and just kind of understand sometimes. And if your reactions can be that way, although we can understand that that can be very difficult, that's a, that's a very powerful way to react. But what's amazing is that that's how Aaron reacted for himself. But we know the magnificence of Aaron was his his ability to be over, overly empathetic with others. Sure, Aaron with other people's loss, other people's grief. He was he's known as a Rodev Shalom and an Ohev Shalom. He loved peace. He pursued peace. He loved other people. He would go so far and beyond in his relationship with other people that that you can look at him as a role model. But he himself, when dealing with other people's loss would never say, oh, this is how you should behave. He will totally be there with that active empathy. And that's really an amazing perspective to have, that for myself, maybe I can get to that level of Ula where I can look inside and say, oh, I understand, but I, but to deal with another person, I'll be like Aaron also and get down on, my, on one knee and be there eye to eye with you in your moment of loss. And perhaps, if Aaron is the example, the ideal way to communicate these ideas is only from your own behavior. Absolutely. If you can act that way, you can accept it. And then other people will see that, and that'll be the lesson. You shouldn't necessarily tell this to people. Now, Aaron did this. Who offered him consolation? Who God. offered Aaron consolation? Was it God? So, so let's, let's read a line in the Torah. The, uh, this is in, in, in Leviticus. This is in chapter 10. The Torah says that none of you offered the sacrifice, and they died in the, pro- in the process. And Moshe tells Aaron... This is what God told me. With those closest to me, I will sanct- I will be sanctified, and I will be honored in front of all the people. And Aaron was silent. He accepted. What does that mean? Moshe tells Aaron, look, I, was, I had this communication from God that in this instance and other instances, sometimes it is the best and brightest who pass away at an early age that create through their death more of an impact than anything else. From those closest to me, this is God talking. Yeah, your two children were the closest. They're, they were the Kroven, the relatives, the, the close people to God. And through their death, somehow, that death creates an, an incredible, uh, like, a, like a, an awakening, uh, like an arousal of, of like, you know, what did this mean? Let's try to make good on this. That, it, that can keep and further the mission and the focus of these people more so in their death than, than, than while they were alive. Right. So what Moshe is telling Aaron is, is, look, your children are gone, but they don't have to be over. 
their mission isn't 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 um is isn't going to terminate right here. This is an we, incredible we sanctification. Take we take it over. We take it over. Right. So if we can take it over, we can perpetrate this mission forever. So right. that Aaron says, Vayidamara, he says nothing. He's accepting that. Wow. So the consolation that Moshe offered to Aaron, really sensitive, is look, God told me that the the temple is going to be sanctified, so to speak, with the loss of two great people. I thought it might be one, either you or me, and it ends up being your two great sons. But I think this is kind of a model that that we can we can make good on the legacy of people if we remember and internalize them and and recognize that we only have a limited amount of time and you know we should get to work right. we should start improving ourselves right. we should take that as a message and that itself will be the ultimate way to keep and perpetuate these people's legacy and just keeping that stuff that idea in mind that there's there's ula there's always that theological idea but you know emotionally we can be there for other people and the best way to do that is to remind ourselves that we can continue the person's mission you know forever Thank you for tuning in. 